so we're talking about, we're, and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty as far as this, this part of our study. Uh, we're going to be talking about sexual purity some next week, and we're going to be talking specifically about how do we engage in conversation with our children about sexuality. And so that's going to be a great thing. I know that's probably why a lot of us are in here, because that's one of those most confusing things, most difficult things for us to talk about with our children. So we'll get into that a little bit next week. But what I want to do uh, tonight is just ask this question, are we ready? Are we ready? Are our children ready? And I have struggled with this because I've had three kids. They've all come to sort of a knowledge of God and their spiritual experiences have been a little bit different. They're all, their personalities are different. The way they process information is different. And so we've had to kind of find patience along the way, uh, knowing that they didn't just come the way we wanted them to in the time that we wanted them to, right? And so the question, though, comes, like, what should my child know before they're baptized? We talked about a lot of things, and specifically last week we talked about sin. And I know that was such a tough class to be in because the conversation was so hard on the consequences of sin. But I think in this time and age, we have to be really, really proactive in helping our children understand what wrong is. Uh, We also need to lead them in that correction of what is right. And I'm going to tell you, if we busy ourselves teaching our kids the right things, then they'll understand the consequences of those other things. So we just have to be really, really proactive in that. So we've used this passage every week. I want to talk just a little bit real quickly. We're going to go this and I want to ask you guys for your comments. I think there are some things that if our child is going to be, become a Christian, they need to know some things. First of all, that there's a God. There's no reason for them to submit to baptism if they don't first begin uh, to believe, okay? And not just believe in God, but believe that He is who He says He is, that all the accounts that we see in the Scriptures are grounded in truth, that that is the true story of creation, that that is the true story of how God came to be or how we became to be. Uh, and I, want, I would think that they would need to know that God wants a relationship with them, that he loves them so much that he would be willing to send Jesus for them. We need to tell our kids that sin is the thing that separates us in that relationship. Like God wants that relationship. He has that relationship with us. But our rebellion against him, rejecting his will, is the thing that takes us out of that great relationship. And there's only one solution for that, and that is the fact that Jesus came and died to pay the price for our sins. Remember, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament required that sacrifices were offered to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus came to be a more perfect sacrifice. We'll actually get into this in our study in Hebrews. He was a more perfect sacrifice, and he was a one-time sacrifice for all of sin, for all of mankind, for all time. And so that's something that they really need to understand, that Jesus is the only answer. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so to give them any other option, any other solution beyond what God has said and what Jesus has said himself, then we're moving beyond what God wants us to do. And then ultimately that forgiveness and eternal life comes and is dependent upon our acceptance of what God has done for us through Jesus. Okay, and so we respond to that through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and our death, burial, and resurrection. That's something that we need to make sure that our kids sort of understand as time goes by. Again, that doesn't translate to a four-year-old, right? Because they're not, they're not there in their cognitive ability. They're not there in their reasoning ability. So this takes time to nurture and to develop in them. And our Bible class teachers, by the way, do an unbelievable job of working systematically through the Scriptures 
uh, over and over. I, th- I don't know how many times they looped through. Jason, do you know how many times? Any of our ladies? Is it four times? Four times through the Scriptures in this under, you know, up until sixth grade. And, of course, our fourth, let me give a sales pitch for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in particular. Uh, there's a study on God the Father, and it's called GTF Builders, and some of you have children in that. And it's kind of the idea of building a relationship with God and building our house in a way that, that d- develops us into strong Christians. And then, so that one's a study about God and how we build that relationship. Then we have the FBI in the fifth grade, and that is fam- famous Bible investigators. And what that is is sort of an FBI-type theme, and it's like digging into the Scriptures and finding out what we need to know about Jesus, like investigating his life and how he affects us and how we can find him and those kinds of things. So then you get into sixth grade, and they roll into the book of Acts, and it's really about the Spirit's work in the church and the beginning of their relationship with God in that powerful way. So those three grades are really important, especially as our children get to that age where they're becoming more accountable and they're understanding things. So those classes are really important. Uh, Make sure that you get them here for those. And then, of course, you know, obviously reinforce that at home and make sure that you're you're following up with them. So here's here's another question. So what should my child understand? What are some things that you think they should grasp before... They're baptized. We'll throw up a bunch of things here in just a moment, but I'd like to hear from you guys. What's critically important that you think they need to know? Anybody? Ladies first. In a sense, the difference between right and wrong. So, with those foundational things like lying, you know, stealing, um, being, you know, things like that, I would say. Okay, right and wrong. And, and sometimes that can be just defined as what's truth, right? Because uh, I think we, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't know exactly how to fall out on things, but when we go to truth, that helps make that definition clearer for us, right? Uh, what else? What are you going to say, Cam? They're going to mess up. Okay. We mess up. Great. I think that's, that's awesome because ultimately what we're trying to help them understand is they... They do need Jesus, right? So it's good to know that they have made mistakes. What else? Be able to understand, like, example, like them be able to tell examples of how they've sinned and why they need forgiveness. Okay, that's great. An understanding of sin, examples of what that is, not like I just hit my sister or those kinds of things, but like stepping across the line that God has, has drawn for us. Wow, that's great. What else? Why Jesus was crucified. Great. What else? Yes, sir. I think in the same way they need to understand that they don't have to know everything. You know, it's, you know, I think a lot of them expect that I have to be perfect before I'm baptized. You know, when we look at the Ethiopian unit, the Philippian jailer, they only had a fairly short time, but they could only learn so much about who Jesus was and what Jesus wanted from them. Did everybody hear that pretty well? Right, can't be perfect. And some of these conversions that we're going to study about are, you know, they were very short, momentarily things where they just heard about it and then they responded right there on the spot. Yes, ma'am.
I love that, and I'll, I'll take that another step. I think understanding sacrifice, the, necess, the, the need for blood sacrifice and for the forgiveness that comes for that. But I would also say even on a metaphorical, but even like in our life, a sacrifice of our will for God's will. Right? I think it's really important for us to recognize that our goal and our ambition is to please God. And so with that comes the idea of sacrifice. That's actually going to help us. That kind of mentality is going to help us in the next study when we talk about sexual things. Because there are some people who are going to struggle with, you know, some sexual temptations. And it's that sacrifice of what they want to do for what God wants them to do that is really going to be important in following God. Anything else? Which can start, I mean, before they can understand even God as authority, there's other things you have to, they've got to understand on some level about you right and wrong, but there is a standard for that. Yeah, so not only right and wrong, but who it is that guides that right and wrong. All right, great. Good. Really good. Yep. Yeah. And then 20 years later, they get rebaptized because they feel like they have the wrong motivation for doing it. Okay, great. So, that, like, you know, maybe just the maturity to understand what they're doing. What you got, Michael? I'm sorry? What repentance is, okay. How would you describe that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, what else? Yes. Okay, wow. Did y'all hear that? Say it again loud, Hunter. Stand up and say it, Hunter. Right, it's that personal conviction, right, that drives, like you're not moved by other things because you do have an embedded faith in God. Wow, that's awesome. What else? Y'all should teach this class, huh? Yeah. What I heard, but I made a transition, and I, I can't remember the specific thoughts or whatever, but I made a transition from asking them if I could to telling them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. I'll, I'll share with you my, my experience. Um, I was young. I was probably eight or nine years old at this time, maybe, maybe ten. Um, and I had that tug that you're talking about. Something was said in the sermon. I felt it was me they were talking to, and I was going to do something about it. So like in the middle of the service, I'm getting that sick feeling inside, 
We get to the invitation song, palms are sweaty, I've got like a death grip on the pew right in front of me. And I decided I'm going, that's it, I'm going. And so I stepped to my left and I burrowed right into a lady right next to me. And she just said, oh, and grabbed me and started hugging me. And, and that was enough to keep me from making the step, right? I was like, okay. You know? So that was it. But then I got home, okay, I got home, I ate lunch, I didn't eat much. And I went straight to my bed and uh, laid down and I put my head in my pillow and I cried and I prayed that God would give me another week. In those days, it wasn't common that you just called somebody and said, let's meet up at the church building like we do now, right? It was one of those things that you had to wait till the next service, all right? And so, you know, I was praying that God would give me another day because I just knew, you know, my parents would say, your life is a vapor, you know, so, so yeah, you know. So, um you know, I knew that that was something that I needed to do. Well, the next week, same scenario, sick at the stomach, death grip on the pew, the invitation starts, and I about knocked that same sweet lady out in the floor. <laughs> I stepped out into the aisle, walked down, and was baptized that day, and I've never doubted it, never doubted it, because of that sense of guilt and the freedom from sin that I felt afterwards, even though I was young. So I think we, we get into these ages, and we don't know everything, right? But I don't think we also need to discount a child's sincerity in their approach to become a Christian, right? There, I think there are ways for us to guide them through that to help them find a little more maturity without discouraging them too much. All right, let's see how we've done. Y'all, y'all did really good. Okay, <clears throat> a proper awareness of right and wrong. Was that the first thing I heard? Okay, all right. Personal responsibility for the choices he or she makes. Did we hear that? Yep. Recognition of personal sin and guilt. Did we hear that? Yep awareness of his or her need for forgiveness, okay? Like, it's one thing for a child to understand and recognize that they have sin. It's another thing for them to feel the absorption of it, the the guilt of it. Does that make sense? They may know, yeah, I messed up, but they may not be at that stage where it really messes with them too much. You know what I mean? So there could come a time where it is. Uh, Understanding Jesus' sacrifice for them, that's one that was said. Willingness to repent. Somebody said that. Y'all did really good. I mean, this is really, really good. Now, I'm trying to figure out how I can work uh, Hunter's, you know, thing up there on that screen a little bit better. His was really, really good, too. Willingness to repent, turn to God and be baptized. Ready for a lifelong commitment. Is that, is that something that we think about when we talk to our children about it? You know, I remember Kinsey was ready, uh, she told me that she was ready to be baptized. And she told me, in church today, I'm going to do it. And I said, okay, well, if you're ready, then let's do it. And so we got in there, invitation song, and I'm looking straight up. I can feel her glaring at me, you know, like she wanted me to step out and just come on, babe, you know, and all that, and I would not do it. I would not do it. Because, I, and I, I'll tell you why. I've told all my children, <clears throat> this is the greatest support system you will ever find, right? This is it. It doesn't get any better than being here at church where we're all like-minded, moving in the same direction, trying to encourage each other, being there for each other when we're sick, taking food over to each other's houses in moments when we need each other, uh, sitting and crying with us when we lose loved ones. There's no better support system than the church, Right? And for my children, I told them, I want you to have the confidence to stand up in front of those people and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because in life, you're going to run into a lot of crowds 
that will not support you, will not be there for you, will push you around, will look down upon you and all those things. I'm not saying that a kid has to respond in church. What I am saying is, in this batch of people, there needs to be a solid commitment, understanding that this is a lifelong thing. And I know that some are young, and that's okay. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather have them become Christians and us continue to teach them and nurture that relationship and them come back later than us to push them off. I'll give you another story. I had a friend who was, he was 14 years old. We went to Bible camp. A lot of us, I think someone said there was an emotional thing. You know, a lot of people respond. A lot of people were baptized. It was very, you know, very good, very emotional. But there was one young man that wanted to come, and his dad had this thought process that you're not old enough until you can drive to become a Christian. And so we came back from camp. We talked to his dad. His dad said, nope, he's just not ready yet. He's like, Daddy, I'm ready. He was crying. He said, Daddy, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And his dad said, no. And to my knowledge, and that was about 30 years ago, 30, yeah, maybe a little bit more than that, 30 years ago for sure, that fella is not, still to this day not a Christian. And it, it kind of hurts me to think that there was a break put on that young man when he was ready in his mind and his heart to do that. Ready for a lifelong commitment. It's a big thing to understand, but I think it's, it's something that they need to understand, at least on some level. And then <clears throat> I put here his or her relationship to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says that we're all buried, we're, we're baptized into one spiritual body. Right? And when you look in... Acts, when they were baptized, what does it say? The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There is a relationship that we have when we're baptized into Christ with other people who have made that same commitment. We've become family now, like on a deeper level than ever before. Not on a physical way, but in a spiritual way. And so um, I think it's important for our children to understand their connection to the Lord's church. I really think that is an important thing because... If they don't get that, then any church anywhere in any way will be just fine with them. And we need them to understand their commitment that they're making to the church that Jesus died for them. Anybody got any other comments about anything? So I was asking for making them hold off. Like, I struggle with that. No. Because they ask and you say no, and then they ask and you say not yet, and then they ask and you say no, and then they stop asking and you're like, well, I would just say re-engage in the conversation. Good thing we have three kids. Yeah. We live and we learn. Well, I think, let me raise the hands. Anybody struggling with this? Okay, we're all struggling. I've got, I'm, listen, my son's not in this class, so I'll say this. Uh, I have a teenager right now. I'm ready. I'm ready. And we've had the conversations. We've had all these studies we've been talking about. I've had like a, those really... Great. Well, let me go back to Gage. Gage, big meathead of a kid. Uh, this kid, we would study together. I would talk to him, and he would say, I know, Dad. I know. I'm like, okay, all right. Because it's your, it's your decision, not mine, you know. And I'd back off. And I remember at camp, they were at Camp Naoti, and someone said to me, Gage has been talking a lot like, he, like he's thinking about becoming a Christian. And I said, that's fantastic. Well, I happened to be invited to go and speak at Nayati. So I was like, oh, man, this was just, Lord, please, you know, please. 
you know, that would just be an awesome moment for, for our family, you know, to all be there together because I was going to be there anyway. Cindy was there. And uh, so we get through. I, I preach. Apparently it was terrible. <laughs> uh, nothing. I hugged him. I said, Bud, you, you doing okay? You having a good week? You, you getting deeper spiritually? You, you know, yeah, yeah, Dad, I really have. And I talk about a lot of things this week with people. Really, that's great to hear, you know. And <laughs> so we linger till like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then we drive back home. And the whole way home, we're like, oh, I just thought it was today, you know. And we get back home, and we go to sleep, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I got a call. And we packed up everything and went back gladly and baptized that sucker, what, about 4 a.m., something like that? (laughs) I'm just saying, stay the course, continue to talk to them, continue to tell them that you love them. I think that is going to be the biggest part of it because I'm not trying to guilt my kids into the baptistry. I'm not trying to coerce them into the baptistry. What I am trying to tell them is, as your father, my objective is to get you to heaven. That's my plan, all right? And so if I sit here and don't talk to you about this repetitively and ongoing, consistently, letting you know how much I love you and how much I want you in heaven with me and the rest of our family, you know, if I don't do that, then I'm, I'm not giving them the full picture of how important this is. And so I think we should do that. It's okay to put them off. Sometimes they are just too young. We'll talk a little bit more about that. What should they know? Okay, in Acts chapter 2, this, is, this may help you a little bit. In Acts chapter 2, what did they know? Not a lot. (laughs) They knew that something amazing was happening, right? There were tongues of fire sitting on their heads. There were people speaking in tongues. Uh, You know, there was talk about the promise of a Messiah. They knew the history, the prophecies, and all the things that were said and spoken of. You know, Peter himself is pointing back to Joel chapter 2 and some of the other prophecies about that, that David said and different things about how Jesus was, in fact, the one that they were, they were promised so long ago. Uh, Peter looks at him and tells him, you're guilty. Remember, you, you were the ones who crucified and slain the Son of God. God's raised him up to be with Lord in Christ. The tomb was empty. You know, he did all these signs and wonders, and now he's raised from the dead. And so it, that's what he says. And it says that they were cut to the heart, and then they asked, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. They, they knew they were guilty. They asked what they needed to do, and that's what he told them. So did they know a ton? No. These are adults, to our knowledge, right? And there were thousands of them that were convicted by it. Maybe they did see what Jesus had done. Maybe they had heard the news. Maybe they were a little bit, you know, moving in that direction. And it was these powerful displays of the Holy Spirit that caused them to really go, okay, this is proof from God that caused them to respond. But their knowledge was not... They didn't know about the church because the church hadn't been established yet. You understand what I'm saying? They didn't know about a lot of different things, about the spiritual gifts and how those would work. They didn't know a lot of things that we know now. They didn't know. So we have to be careful that we don't expect them to know everything, right? All right, so what does the Bible say about baptism? Anything that you can think of about baptism and why that's important, why we kind of focus and make baptism a focal point in the salvation process. Why do we do that? Okay, it's necessary, according to the Scriptures. If you can, when you tell me the answer, tell me where it says that. Because it's really important that we're able to point our children to the passage that tells them that, because, again, who was it that said authority? 
if authority is from God and God has given us His Word, then it's really cool to go to the Bible and give them the answer. That way you're teaching them to fish, not just feeding them the fish, right? All right, what else? Okay, buried in baptism, raised up in newness of life. What else? Do you know where that passage is? boy. Good job. All right, we'll get to that one here in a minute. What else? How much time I got? Okay. Okay, First Peter 3.21. Baptism also saves us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the appeal of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus. That's really talking about how Noah was saved in the ark, right? And it said there's, there's a figure there that being in that boat, okay, that baptism also now saves us. It's kind of interesting that, you know, when you think about that story, you know, Moses and, I mean, Moses, Noah and his family were in the ark, and it was the water underneath that washed away sinful mankind. Isn't that kind of interesting? That being in that protection of God, was what lifted them up, and that's what baptism is. It's, that, it's receiving that protection that God has promised us. All right, what else? I like John the Baptist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And though Jesus didn't have any sin to be forgiven of, the Bible says he did that to fulfill all righteousness, right? To just show us kind of the right way. All right, what else? It's a, it's a mercy, not a sprinkle. Okay. It's, it's a way for you to get it physically too, and you see that metaphor, but it, it's all or nothing. Like you're in and you're out, something new. Okay, give me a passage or two to help that. Give me Anybody in here? Give me a passage about the burial. You said Romans 6. Romans 6 is one. What's another one? Turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Uh, I'm not sorry, Colossians chapter 2. Because I think we go to Romans 6 because in Romans chapter 5, there's this long discussion about the grace of God and about how amazing it is, right? And it, it talks about how um, that the more we sin, grace is even, you know, God's grace is even greater than all of our sin. And so you get to Romans 6, and it says, well, then do we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And the answer is, God forbid. And he says, you know, that we, how can any of us who have already died to sin, you know, continue to live in a sinful relationship? So it says we're buried with him in baptism uh, into Christ's death, and we're raised up to walk in newness of life. All right, Colossians chapter 2, uh, someone read starting in verse 11, I think it is. I may be wrong. Who's got? Okay. All right. So that passage is really talking about uh, how circumcision was viewed by the Jews, and and now. There is a different kind of circumcision. It's not the one that is the, the cutting off of the flesh in the sense of circumcision from the Jews' standpoint, but it's a cutting off of the fleshly person and putting that person to death and being buried with Christ 
and being raised up. And it says through the powerful operation of God. I love that. Because, again, sometimes people will say that baptism is a work. You know what I'm talking about? They'll say, well, you can't just do a work and that be the thing that saves you. But we understand that it's not a work. It's God's work in us. It's just our submission to what he's asked us to do. All right, let's look up here and see if we've gotten all this down. All right, so baptism saves us. 1 Peter 3.21, that was mentioned. And remember, it says it's not just a washing. Uh, that's important because the Jews had these ceremonial cleansings that they would do from time to time, all right? They would have what they call ablutions. They would get into these little baptistries and wipe off, and that was kind of a ceremonial way of, of entering into the temple in different places clean, right? So when, when God is talking about this, and by the way, the word for baptism in the Scriptures is baptizo, which is a word that literally means to dip, to plunge, to kerplunk. I think that's actually the Greek, kerplunk. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> But anyway, it's, it's a full immersion, okay? So when you see the word baptism, understand the word is actually immersion. So that helps with the understanding of it for sure, all right? Uh, but it's not just getting clean. It's actually the, the purification of that conscience who's feel, feeling the guilt of their sin, and they're submitting it and putting it to death, and they come out of that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's kind of what that passage teaches. All right, Acts 2.38 you know, a lot of, a lot of people will have problems with the word for the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever heard this before? Someone will say because of the forgiveness of sins. But that, that does not consistently flow into all of Scripture. For example, one of the passages that people like to use uh, with regard to salvation is, you know, in, inviting Jesus into your heart and you know, confessing him, and that's enough, just saying you're, you believe that Jesus is, and he's taken away your sins, that that's enough to, to save a person. And they'll use Romans 10, 9, and 10, which is, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right? Well, that word for unto is the same word as for. So when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, uh, you know, repent and be baptized for, or unto the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. That makes sense. If you put in because of the forgiveness of sins, what they're saying is the baptism doesn't matter. It's just sort of that outward sign of an inward conviction, right? But if you follow that same line of thinking, now Romans 10, 9, and 10 sounds like this. For with the heart man believes because he is righteous, and with the mouth confession is made because he is saved. You see what I'm saying? It gets really twisted if you put that same kind of that same exact Greek word in these other places. It doesn't it doesn't fall in line. So it baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, Right, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. You know, in Matthew twenty eight it goes on to say, you know, that we are to teach them and to observe all the things that, that he had commanded them and that he would be with us to the end of the age. Um, Mark 16, 16 tells us that it's our response, you know, that when we believe, it's that faithful response that says, I need to be baptized into his death. It means being become a disciple of Christ, and that just means either a follower or a learner. That's what it means, someone who is a student of Jesus. And I like this passage in Acts 22, verse 16, because sometimes people will say, well, you just got to call on the name of the Lord. And we know that in Matthew chapter 7 it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
So in Acts 22, this is Paul retelling his uh, conversion story about the road to Damascus. And what it says is that he saw the bright light and it came down and it blinded him. He went into the city to wait. Ananias comes to him and says to him, is that one, one bell? Yeah. Says, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Okay, comma, washing away your sins, comma, calling on the name of the Lord. Y'all know what the positives are in, in grammar? That wasn't a positive. Somebody tell me. Somebody had to have taken grammar at some point. Anybody? Any teachers in here? Don't make me call you out. What's an appositive? Please tell me. Stand up, man. Stand up. Tell them. Tell them. I always use it as like another way to refer to something. Okay, all right, great. It's, it's a phrase that modifies the thing that's being done, right? So when he says, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Both washing away the sins, both calling on the name of the Lord is what happens in baptism, right? So when Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting from Joel 2, but he's telling them that when you do this, when you respond and you repent and you're baptized, that is you calling on the name of the Lord. All right, so I think we got most of this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27 says that um, we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And it says, for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. Okay, so there's lots here. I'll, I'll stop there because I think all of this is, has been pretty well covered in this class. So baptism is a significant piece because it is the very thing that puts us into a relationship with Jesus. So that's why this is so important. That's why we are, as parents, concerned about where our children are in their faith journey and what they need to do next. All right, so this is where it gets into we have to make the, the judgment calls, and sometimes when our, we're talking to our children, we just have to kind of think about these things. Some are ready, okay, some of them are ready, but they're not quite willing to commit, okay? So they know, but it's not, they just haven't made that decision yet. How do you handle that? What do you do? Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. And don't stop talking about it. Now, you don't do it in the sense of, you know, forcing guilt upon them. But you do it to keep, keep that conversation going about spiritual things. Some are willing, but are not quite prepared. That's the ones who, you know, like you said, are ready, but they don't quite understand yet. It's okay. Hold them off a little bit. Some are ready and willing, but are restrained by us as parents. Okay? They're ready, they're willing, but we have held them off. That's, we want to work on that. We want to make sure that we're not doing that. And then some are pushed to an early decision when they're not ready for it. So what our goal is to find the child that's ready, willing, and able to pursue it personally. All right, I don't know if y'all can see all this. This is sort of something that I worked on with Kenzie. I used it with Gage, and, and I've used it with Nick as well. Is There's sort of a, a process, I think, that they need to get in their mind and their hearts as they're ready, as they're getting ready for this. And I think these little steps are a way for you to measure where they are and to find out if they're, if they're ready to really commit. So it starts out with a belief in God. That has to be foundational, right? 
And then there, there comes this part where they have to have knowledge of what sin is, okay? Able to express what it is. Give good examples, like she said, okay? That helps us understand that, that sin is there. They know what it is, and they know that it has, a, it has an adverse effect on their relationship with God. The next part of that is I'm aware of my sin. Like, the child is cognizant that they do make the mistakes. Yes, I, I feel bad about that. Okay, then there's the next part of it, which is I'm absorbing now the guilt of that sin. Right now, at that stage, in my view, when they feel the guilt of their sin, at that point, I believe they become accountable. Okay, now, I can't tell you that for sure, but in my mind, as once a child recognizes what Jesus has done for them, what they recognize that they have done, done things that are wrong that is beginning to burden them, I think that's the point in which God awakens that accountability level in them. And then the next part of it is that, that personal responsibility aspect of it is I have the ability. It's where Wesley was where he says, okay, can I, can I, can I? No, I am. But it's that stage where that child says, okay, I, I can do something about this and I'm ready to do something about it. I understand all these other things. And then the last step is having the courage to commit. I think that's it, yeah. So having the courage to make that step. Like I said, Kenzie was looking at me, wondering if I was going to step out into the aisle. And I stood there feeling the burn of her face. Right? And I just stood there and kept singing. And when it was over, she elbowed me and said, Why didn't you step out? And I said, Well, why would I have to step out? And she says, well, I thought you were going to get out and walk with me up there. I said, if you walk up there, I will be up there with you. And it was the next week, and she did the same thing. She stepped out into the aisle, pushed me aside, (laughs) and I walked up there and cried like a baby. And uh, we had a great time as a family. Let Let me let you in on this, too. Just be reminded of this. Because there's, I believe there's coming a day when I'll, I'll see Nick walk down the aisle. I don't know when that's going to be. But recognize that this is not just happening because of you. You're a huge cog in the wheel as a parent. But recognize that all the people in this room and all the people that have taught them in Bible class and all the people that have loved them, the grandparents and different people who have poured faith into them, they're all a contributing factor of that. So I think sometimes we feel all the pressure, but understand that we all have the pressure on us to do that for all of our children. Right? So just be mindful of that. We're all influences on all of our children, and it does take a village. So let's not be loose in our opportunity for influence, okay? Love y'all. We'll see you next week. We'll get into the messy stuff. <laughs>